Good morning. It is so good that you could be with us today. Camp meeting Sunday, we've got a lot of folks that are down at camp today, but I am glad you are here. Next week is the last week of this schedule, of our July schedule. We'll have the service here, and then August is going to be a busy, busy month. We've got membership class. If you haven't joined, would like to join the church membership class on, on the first Saturday of August, August 4th. And also in August, the next week is Vacation Bible School. You can help us with that. And then during the month of August, we have our baptism at the lake. If you've never been baptized, you can be baptized. It's a great time. Lake Callis in Davison will do that on August 19th. And during that next week, during August, that, that begins on August 19th, is our 24-7 prayer time. And so we'll want you to be involved in that. You can come here to the church pray for an hour and that is a a powerful powerful week in the life of our church so august is busy and so so be ready fasten your seatbelts. we're in for a busy time and through all of this we're in a sermon series that we started actually two weeks ago and then last week david and tabita were here but but we're calling it flipped now now because we're calling it flipped it doesn't mean that you're required to do somersaults or cartwheels or or backflips, nothing like that. And, and Jesus wasn't doing any kind of calisthenics like that when he gave us this Sermon on the Mount is where we're getting this series from. But really we're looking at the Beatitudes, those, that, that preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. The, the words that begin with blessed. And we're saying that in, in Jesus as he's doing this, he is flipping the way we think about things. He's, he's flipping the way we normally would perceive things. So the very first a beatitude that we looked at two weeks ago, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That flips the way we normally think. Normally we would think blessed are the rich. If you're poor, you're, you're, that you're cursed, you're not blessed. We would say blessed are those who are rich in spirit. Blessed are those that have a zest for life. Blessed are those who are never discouraged and never down. Blessed are those who are always up. Blessed are those who are rah, 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 sis, boom, bow. Yahoo! Blessed are those people. But Jesus says, no, not so fast. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize they need a savior. Blessed are those that recognize that their only hope in this old world is Jesus Christ. Blessed are those. Those are the ones who gain heaven. The poor in spirit, those that, that realize that apart from Jesus, they're in deep, deep trouble. Those are the ones who are truly blessed. Well, that flips our thinking. And if that flipped your thinking, then today's beatitude will really flip your thinking. Because the second beatitude says this, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those that mourn. Again, that seems, we, we would tend to be tempted to think that no, no, those, those that are mourned, they're not blessed, they're cursed. Blessed are those that never have to mourn Jesus. Blessed are those that skate through life easy as pie. Blessed are those that never have to deal with tough circumstances. Blessed are those that never have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Blessed are those people. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn. Now, two weeks ago when we looked at that that word, blessed, we said that sometimes it's translated happy, but that's really a poor translation. Happy is determined by outward circumstances. I'm happy when, when, when Michigan beats Ohio State. Well, we're all happy for that. I'm happy when, you know, when, when, when I get a nice Christmas present. I'm happy when, when 
things go my way. I'm happy when I'm feeling good and I'm healthy and I've got money in the bank and life is good. That's when I'm happy. It's based on an outward circumstance. But Jesus is saying, no, I've got something better for you than just that. I want you to be blessed. In the deepest part of your soul, I want you to experience a joy, an inner satisfaction that goes way deeper than any sort of outward circumstance can bring to you. A, a, a being blessed so that much so that even when things are going lousy, even when you mourn, even when you're poor in spirit, you can ex still experience the deep inner satisfaction of Jesus Christ himself. And so he says, blessed are you who are mourning. Now, again, I, I think most of us would say... When, when we're going through that, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, our church has experienced a lot of loss in the last couple of years. I think last year we had over 60 funerals, and this year we're probably on pace for that, and the year before it was over 60. So a lot of us have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. A lot of us know what it means to, to, to mourn. And, and, and while there's probably exceptions to the rule, normally we don't think of, of when we're mourning as being blessed. There are exceptions. You know, my father-in-law passed away in January. He had Alzheimer's. He was a wonderful man of God who loved Jesus his whole life. The last couple of years, he didn't know himself, really. And so, so, so quite honestly, we were glad that now he's in his right mind. We Christians, we don't, we don't mourn like those that have no hope. I know that Arling is walking on streets of gold today, and he has met Jesus. And he has had his celestial tour, and he is experiencing all the things that he had forgotten. And so sometimes, sometimes when our loved one is, is suffering or sometimes when they go through some terrible disease like, like Lou Gehrig's disease or Alzheimer's or something like that, we say, all right, well, yes, then they're a Christian. We say, yes, they're blessed. Now they're in with heaven and they're with Jesus and, and they're experiencing the joys of all those things that God has prepared for those that loved him. They're blessed, yes, of course. But others of us know the pain, the heartache, of walking through that that valley of the shadow of death when we don't feel very blessed when we're mourning when our pain is so deep and so devastating and so so what is Jesus meaning here how can that how can that make us blessed now the the preacher trick to do in such a circumstance as this is to go back to the Greek and surely he must have meant maybe the Greek word that Jesus is using here is just not not mourn like we think of mourning maybe it's it's blessed are you when you're a little bit blue and somebody comes up and you know makes you feel better maybe that's what he meant maybe it's it's blessed are you when when you have a little bit of trouble but you have someone that cheers you up and makes you feel happy again so he went back to the Greek. And the Greek word that Jesus uses here is the strongest, most intense, deepest word for loss that Jesus could have possibly used. So a good translation of this beatitude would be, blessed are you when, when you are crushed by a loss. Blessed are you when you are devastated Blessed are you when you are utterly destroyed by what's going on. Blessed are you when you don't think you can even go another day. See, and the people I know that have been in that circumstance, they don't feel very blessed. They don't feel very blessed at all. 
This isn't a, 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 a the blessing of when someone you love who's a Christian who's experiencing such a terrible disease like Alzheimer's goes on to heaven. That's not what this is about. This is when, when, when someone you love has been taken too soon and when you are crushed, when you're not jumping up and down, you're not po- posting smiley faces on, 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 on Facebook, you are crushed. If you were really honest, you'd say, I'd rather crawl underneath a rock. I'd rather get in bed and pull the sheets over my head and not come out for about a month or two when you're crushed. Blessed are you when you are crushed, when you mourn. How could Jesus, how could Jesus say that? What does he mean? Well, I think David, King David from the Old Testament can help us understand a little bit about what Jesus is talking about or would talk about, you know, a thousand years later. David, you remember, was on top of the world. I mean, he was, he was, you couldn't get any better than what David's life had been. He was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He was going to take over. He was going to be the next big cheese. He's the boy that, that you know the story. You've, we've learned them all, vacation, Bible school, Sunday school. He, he destroyed Israel's public enemy, number one, Goliath, with a, with a slingshot and a few stones. Saul had chosen him to be first a musician and then a warrior in, in, in the army. And the troops all loved David. In fact, they, they wrote songs about him in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We, we can read one of the songs that they would sing about him. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. Now that's not a particularly great song. I don't, I don't, I don't know the tune, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. I don't know, I don't know. It sounds a little bit more like probably it was a country western. Saul has killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And I'm so sad that they took my wife and my dog too. Maybe it was a rap. <laughs> Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. I don't know. Don't, do not, do not encourage that. Do not. <laughs> I am no singer, as I just proved. Saul was on, er, David was on top of the world. He would have been Times Man of the Year. He, would, he had victory after victory, success after success. Everything was going his way. And then something strange happened. You, you thought that this only happened to Job in the Old Testament. But everything that David had was stripped from him. He lost his job. Saul grew jealous. He didn't like people singing that country western song about him. And he didn't like the fact that David was so popular. And he grew jealous. And he started chucking spears at David. When the king starts throwing a spear your way, you can probably figure that your job is over. You know, you don't have to fill out a, a, a resignation letter. You know you're done. So he lost his job. He lost his wife. His wife, was, his name was Michelle. She was Saul's daughter. And, and when and David was on the run from King Saul, uh, Saul sent his henchmen after David and his wife, Michelle, Saul's daughter, helped David escape. But she was kidnapped, really, by Saul's henchmen. And she went back to Saul. And it's a weird story because she ends up marrying somebody else through all of that. Carla, if you ever get kidnapped, please, please, please don't marry someone else. Wait. I'll get you. Eventually, I'll get you. 
That's so weird. I don't know. How, I don't know. So he lost his job. He lost his wife. He, he goes to see Samuel. Remember, Samuel was his spiritual mentor. Samuel was the one that anointed him to be, to be king. Samuel was the one that he would go to to get spiritual advice. And so as, as Saul's henchmen were in hot pursuit, he goes to Ramah to see Samuel. And Samuel says, in so many words, David, I, I can't help you. I'm an, old, I'm an old man and I'm gonna die soon and I can't go, you're on your own, buddy. And Samuel was right. He died shortly, shortly after that. And so he lost his job, he lost his wife, he lost his spiritual mentor, he went to his best friend. His best friend was a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan's dad was Saul, the king, the guy who was trying to kill him. And Jonathan either could not or would not uh, take a sword against his own father, and so he lost his best friend too. So if you're keeping score, he lost his job, he lost his wife, he lost his, his spiritual mentor died, and his best friend was out of his life it gets worse david goes to a place called gath now gath doesn't sound like a very great town it probably wasn't much of a town it sounds like something you do after you know maybe ate some bad fish the night before gath it's not a very great place but you know what makes it even stranger crazier why in the world would david go there do you know who is from gath whose hometown was gath Goliath, yeah, Goliath. That was Goliath's hometown. Why in the world would David go to the hometown of the hero that they that he killed? But that's exactly what he did. Maybe he thought there's no way. Maybe he was thinking that Saul would never think that he would go to Gath because that was where Goliath's hometown, and people probably weren't too kind to David there. But that's where he went. But then he got there, and he must have realized this wasn't the greatest decision he ever made because the Bible says this. David was very much afraid of Ashes, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Doesn't sound like he's on top of the world, does it? Get a picture of this. That's what's going on. Ashes said to his servants, look at this man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short on madmen that you have to bring me this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? This dude is crazy. I don't know. Maybe he killed Goliath before, but he's crazy. Now get him out of here. That's David's life. Eventually he takes off from Gath and he goes and he finds himself in a cave. Acting crazy and hiding in a cave. Have you ever been there? Well, maybe not acting crazy, but in a cave? You know, the whole world was watching those, the soccer team from Thailand that was trapped in the cave, and, and you were probably like me. We were all praying that for their rescue, and, and it, was, it was heart-wrenching, and, and day by day it went on, and we were praying that, you know, it, the rains wouldn't come, and the caves wouldn't get more flooded, and one Thai Navy sail uh, lost his life trying to rescue those boys, and it was just a... a uh, an event that the whole world was watching and probably the cave that you find yourself in it won't be covered by abc or cnn or fox news the caves that we find ourselves in much like david's cave is the place where there's no props there's no support there's no crutches everything has been stripped away a cave is that place of shattered dreams it's a place of hopelessness a place of mourning and grief. A place where you are gripped by that habit that you can't get to, that can't get away from. A, a place where there's not an easy answer. A place where 
the diagnosis is not good. That's the cave. And I guarantee you that there are some people in this room right now, if you were really honest, you'd say, I'm in a cave right now. And it's deep, and it's dark, and it's lonely, and I'm here. Maybe it's because of foolish choices you've made, or maybe it's because of things that you had absolutely no control over. But like David, there you are in this cave. And for David, it gets even worse. You think, how in the world could it get worse? It does get worse. Listen to what happens next. David's in this cave, and some people come to him. Now you think, well, that'd be a good thing. Some people are gathering around him, but it's kind of the cliche, misery loves company, because this is how the Bible describes the people that come to David in 1 Samuel 22. All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. What a motley crew. The discontent, the in debt, the... the, the the distressed, all gra- this is not the cream of the crop. These are not the five beta kappas that are coming around David. This is, a, this is a motley, motley, motley crew. I remember before Carla and I um, went to Bad Axe, we interviewed at a church, and I won't tell you where it is, um, but, but we interviewed at this church, and, and we got there, the, the, the district superintendent at the time didn't even come with us. He sent his assistant district superintendent, and we met with them, and we were in the, the meeting with the board um, for about two minutes. That's about all it took for us to realize that this place was dysfunctional, capital D. I mean, the board members were fighting among themselves. The, the facilities were gorgeous, but the board members were fighting, and there was all this weirdness going on. It was just crazy, crazy, crazy. And, and we got done with the meeting, and the, the assistant district superintendent, we, we walked out, of the meeting, he said, you're not going to this church, are you? I said, not in a million years. He goes, okay, we got that done. Let's go get dinner. <laughs> I said, all right. <laughs> you know, we, uh, as much as I wanted to pastor a church, thankfully, you know, the Lord made, I think the Lord knew that for me, he had to make it abundantly, crazily clear that this was not the place because I would have just jumped at anything. And, and so he did that. But it, was, it seems to me like this is who David's hanging around with. They're distressed, they're in discontent, they're in debt. This, this terrible, motley crew is who came around him. And David became their leader. And eventually, they, they started putting together a little bit of a village. And they called it Ziglag. And they were starting to do a little bit better. And, and they went out on a raiding crew. And when they came back, they discovered that an enemy had come in and sacked their village. And had... Had, had taken captive all their wives and all their children. Verse 30, of, or chapter 30, verse 6 says this, Great, David was greatly distressed because of what was going on. And before that, in verse 4, it says, They raised their voices when they discovered that their kids and their wives had all been taken captive. They raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. It's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. These people are already upset. They were already discouraged. They were already distressed. They were already all messed up. You know, not Phi Beta Kappas. They were, they were in problems. And this is the straw that broke the camel's back so much so that verse 6 then says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Doesn't say anything about their wives. I, hopefully they were a little bit upset about that too. 
David, at this point, has lost everything, right? His job, his status, his fame, his wife, his friends, his future. And now these guys, this motley crew, are talking about stoning him. He's lost it all. You talk about a pit, you talk about a cave. David is there deeper than probably any of us can even imagine, really. He's lost it all. But I, but I didn't read the whole of verse 6. I left off the best part of verse 6, quite honestly. I got to read the last part. I read the first part. The first part is that, that he was greatly distressed by everything, that the men were talking and stoning him. Each one was bitter in their spirit because of their sons and daughters. But then the last part of verse 6 says this, but David found strength in the Lord his God. But David even though he's in the pit and all these terrible things are going on and it's terrible and it's rotten and it's horrible and he's in this deep, deep, deep cave and people are talking about stories. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Do you know what that's really saying? Blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. Blessed are you who when you are in the deepest, darkest pit and cave that you could ever imagine you will be comforted. David found strength in the Lord his God. It, it's, it, Jesus is telling us at this, at, with this beatitude that even when we're in that deepest, darkest pit, even when we're mourning like uh, the things of life, even when we're grieving deeper than we can imagine, even when our dreams have been shattered or promises have been broken, God is that we're not alone. Even when all of our friends may have abandoned us, we are not alone. That God himself, the creator of the universe, will come by our side, but David found strength in the Lord his God. You can too experience that. See, Satan loves to hop on our shoulder and says, oh man, look at this, look at this terrible situation. No one cares about you, no one loves you, no one is aware of even what's going on. Don't you believe it? God is there in those deepest, darkest pits. Jesus is the one that said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You are not alone. So this beatitude, this blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. Blessed are you who are devastated by a loss, either by death or by divorce or by disaster or by whatever. Blessed are you. Why? 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 Because, because God himself will come and comfort you. God himself will wrap his arms around you and remind you, you are not alone. I am with you. I'll get you through this. You can trust me. A few years back, we did a sermon series on, on Lazarus. You may remember that if you were here at the time. And we took like six or seven weeks and spent in that story. And of course, you know that's a great, powerful story, the most powerful story, really miracle story in the Gospels, in my opinion, when Jesus called out to that four-day dead man to come out of the grave and Lazarus, you know, came out. And that's certainly the most powerful moment of that story, you know, dead men don't come out, dead men stay dead. But maybe the next most powerful moment of that story is when Jesus finally shows up. Remember, Jesus shows up at the cemetery four days too late. He kind of dawdled around. He didn't hurry. He got word that his friend was sick, but he didn't hurry to get there. He waited and dawdled and finally showed up, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. And in that shortest verse in the whole Bible that every Sunday school kid learns 
kid learns real quick because, you know, John eleven thirty five 35 is, is quick and easy. What's your favorite Bible verse? Jesus wept. And so we, we know that Jesus wept. Why was Jesus crying? He's Jesus. He knows that in a few moments, his friend is going to walk out of that tomb like we walked in a park. He knows that, that, that he who is dead is not going to be dead for much longer, and still Jesus is weeping. Why is Jesus weeping? He's weeping because the same reason you and I weep when we lose someone close to us. He's weeping because he's telling us, listen, it's not blessed are you who pretend that it doesn't bother you when, somebody, when you lose something. It's not blessed are you who, who ignore your feelings. Not blessed are you who bury your pain. Not blessed are you who play tough, but really you're dying on the inside. No, he said, blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are devastated. Blessed are you who, who go through those hard, terrible, rocky times. Why? Because you are not alone. You've got God Almighty by your side. And even in those darkest hours, even when you don't know how to go on, even when you don't know if you can even wake up the next morning and live another day, I am with you is what his promise Blessed are you. Why? Because you're not alone in this great big universe. You have a God that knows you, cares for you, loves you every moment of your life. I have a friend who experienced deep, deep loss um, several years ago now. Her daughter was killed in a car accident. And some of you know that pain. You know the pain of losing a child. And her daughter was in, a, in an accident and and she... Uh, at first didn't die she died a few days after the accident they got there and her daughter was on life support and it wasn't good and and i asked her several years afterwards i said said what did you do in those lowest points you're waiting there at the hospital and your daughter is is is, is dying what did you do? How did you make it? And this is what she told me. She said, Pastor, there were some points in that journey where I was all alone. Where my, my husband couldn't go with me as much as he wanted. And my daughter couldn't go with me. I was alone. She had another daughter. She had two daughters. One died. She said, I was alone. But I wasn't alone. Because at those moments, and at that point, that's when I met Jesus. In my darkest moments. Jesus was there. See, that's what Jesus is saying. Even when you mourn, even when you're at the lowest points of your life, even when you don't feel like you can go on, he will comfort you, he'll be there for you, he will care for you, he will hold you. She said, she said one more thing. She said after her daughter died and she was still at the hospital, she said she knew she had a decision to make. She had been a Christian for a long time. And she said the decision was, would she trust God? Would she do what she had told so many other people before them, the friends or, or, or people that she knew when they were going through a difficult time? You know, hold on and God will be there and you can trust him and, and you can count on him. And she said at that moment, she had a decision to make. Would she do that? Would she keep trusting? Would she keep believing? Would she hold on to Jesus? Or would she throw it all away? And she said, Pastor, I knew my only hope was to trust in Jesus. And maybe you're finding yourself in a cave today. Uh, you, you put a smile on your face, you came to church, but you are in the inside, you're dying, and you're so hurting. Maybe it's from death, maybe it's from divorce, maybe it's from some other disaster. 
things maybe in your control, maybe things out of your control. My question is, will you allow God to comfort you? Will you allow God to come to you? Will you allow God to, 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 to wrap his arms around you? Because he'll do that. We're going to sing in a minute. And I'm going to encourage you, if you want, to come down to the altar. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, there's lots of altars. You ever notice that? There's lots of, constantly, the people are constantly building altars in the, in the Old Testament. And I think the reason they're building altars is that altars are a place, they're not like this, not wood and matching upholstery to the pews. They're mostly built out of stone. And I think they built those altars as a remember because God, God knew that so often we forget the things we should remember and we remember the things we should forget. And so, and so, so we would have them build an altar where, where he did something powerful in their life. And so whenever they would pass that pile of rocks, that altar, they would say, oh yeah, God worked there. Because he knew it's so easy for us. We remember the bad things. We remember the harsh words. We don't remember the joyful moments as easily. And so they built an altar. It said God was there. And he worked. It's interesting. In Matthew, um, in Matthew 16, Jesus tells us a story of, uh, to the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. In Matthew 14, Jesus fed the 5,000. And in Matthew 15, Jesus fed the 4,000. And in Matthew 16, so just right on the heels of all these powerful miracles, Jesus says to these guys, have you forgotten about what I've done for you? Have you forgotten how I, I worked? Have you forgotten what happened with the 5,000 people and with the 4,000 people? He was saying to these folks, you know... <laughs> these disciples you need to you need to take those miracles from the short-term memory and put it in the long-term memory c.s lewis once said that that our issue isn't so much that we need to 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 learn the truth it's simply that we need to remember the truth and that's what altars do for us reminds us who god is and what god can do it reminds us that God can work in powerful ways. We need to sing and we need to go, but let me tell you this last thing. Do you remember, this is a terrible, I, I don't know that I want to say this in some ways. Do you remember the comedian Chris Farley? He did, a, he did a skit on Saturday Night Live where he would interview people. Do you remember that? And it would be, he would say, you, and I remember one in particular where he was interviewing Paul McCartney of the Beatles, right? And so he's sitting there, and Chris Farley was kind of a crazy comedian. And he would say, say, he was so excited about interviewing Paul McCartney of the Beatles. He goes, wow, do you remember? You were on the Beatles. Do you remember that? And of course, and Paul McCartney goes, "Um, yes. He goes, oh, that was awesome. And he said, did you remember when you you sang that song? And Paul McCartney said, yeah. He goes, oh, that was awesome. I guess I want to be a little bit like Chris Farley. Do you remember when God helped you in the past? Do you remember when, when you were going through a tough time and you didn't know where to turn it and God came and worked in a powerful way? Do you remember that? That was awesome. And just like, like the struggle you're going through now, God can work. Do you remember when you didn't know, you know where maybe your finances were tight and God provided? That was awesome. Well, he can help you in your situations now too. It'll be awesome. That's the point. 
How do we, how do we survive? How do we make it? Why are the blessed are those that mourn? Because our awesome God will come alongside you and comfort you. Whether that loss is disaster or divorce or death or anything else, he will work. Why don't you stand? Let's sing this course. If you want to just come down here and say, Lord, you know what's going on. I got to give it to you. I'm tired of carrying it. By all means, do that. God can work in powerful ways.